just past 7 o'clock. Very special Ira on sports. NFL playoffs are underway. College football's wrapped up, and we're here to talk all about it. I'm Mike Balsamo. This is Oldies 95.9 and 106.9. Ira is not in studio with me. Good reason for that, Ira, and but kind of a little snafu you had as well that might be keeping you away uh, longer than you would have liked. Well, I'm in Kansas City. Uh, it's a great town. I love Kansas City. I was able to go two days. This is uh, Martin Luther King Day. Two days ago, I went to the museum honoring uh, the Black Baseball Leagues, which is located here in Kansas City, uh, and saw it's a great a new museum with amazing history about baseball, about Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, Oscar Charleston, who we talked about on the show. Uh, so that was really great show uh, for honoring Martin Luther King Day. But Kansas City's a great town, but I'm a little stuck here because it's harder to rent a car than return them. So I have to figure out how I still have to, you know, I wasn't intending, you know, we had her. So I wasn't really thinking I was going to go from Indianapolis to Kansas city. Uh, and then uh, it's hard to drop cars off now. So they want a humongous drop off charge to drop the car off, but we'll see. But I just love being here and I love going to the game last night and certainly in Indianapolis, we'll talk about the national championship game. I was there on Monday. So I've saw two, I mean, a very sad game the day after the Steelers losing a playoffs is always a really, really sad day for me, uh, but a bad game. But it was still just a great atmosphere. Someone who loves football, it was just a, it was a great send-off for Ben uh, in terms of being there. And the Kansas City fans are awesome. I mean, there's, you know, we've traveled and I've complained about Eagle fans and Ohio State fans, but, boy, the Chiefs fans are just – it's a great town. They love their Chiefs. They love their football, and they're passionate, and the stadium is super loud. And you can follow along uh, Ira's adventures at Ira on sports across social media. Ira, about 7.15, we're going to bring in Rodney Orr from the Tider Insider. We've had him on the show quite a few times. He's extremely knowledgeable. Tell us about Rodney. I don't know. He's just going to be He's a, the Alabama expert and sort of got to wanted to ask him about his opinion about what happened in the game on Monday night uh, and how upset the Alabama fans might be and changes maybe for Alabama program. Uh, he's been a great friend of the program, so I can't wait to have him back on. Okay, Ira, so let's talk about the national championship. You were there, of course, and I don't think that many people were planning, you know, looking at the game, uh, you know, but the season started of it being freezing. <laughs> but that took into, no. uh, took into account. It was so cold outside. It had to be like five degrees. And the Lucas Oil Stadium is in this warehouse area. And I could not get a hotel room in the city. So I had to get outside the city to go and park. And it's like there's like a post office distribution. There's car. I just think that I don't know why the stadium could not have around it, just like bars and restaurants. It's just it's a weird spot where the stadium is. But then I got there early because I wanted to go inside. I didn't have to wait outside. It was very cold. You have all these Alabama fans and all these Georgia fans, and they're not used to it. And it's about a mix. It was about 70% Georgia fans as opposed to Alabama because Alabama has been to the championship game so many times, so many playoff games. I sort of expected more Georgia than Alabama, maybe not as much as the 70-30. But I love I've been to Lucas Oil uh, two times before for the uh, Big Ten championship game and also for the Steeler-Colt game. And it's a great inside. It looks cool. It's like an old basketball gym, but it's like worth like $2 billion stadium. And it has, so, but it is very cool. A lot of uh, everything that's neat. It, ha- it opens on the top. Now, Clearly, the roof was not open, but they have windows on both sides uh, so you can sort of see outside if we're during the day. And then also we're talking about the Cowboy game. That does become a problem sometimes 
uh, and then with the scoreboards in the corner. But I love the stadium. It's easy, you know, to get. And they have the, the club sections were open to everything for the college games. I noticed that even for the Big Ten championships. So the entire club, every level was, you know, to be a club member, even though my seats were club seats, but everybody could go in, sit in the club, and everything like that. So it was very good. And, of course, the Georgia Alabama fans are very passionate. I mean, everyone was dressed in Georgia. Everyone was Alabama. It's weird to have it in Indianapolis, Big Ten country, but nobody from Indianapolis was there. But an interesting thing, Andrew. Luck was introduced with RG3. I don't know if they showed that on television, but they, they did. Yeah. He was in the. They did. He was booed. So as many oh, wow. Indianapolis fans were there, they booed him because remember Andrew Luck was the star quarterback for Indianapolis, who in the late I think was 29 years old, retired from uh, playing football. And I think fans were still. He let the team sort of. They still can't figure out what the quarterback situation is. But I was surprised when he was there, and he looked like people think he'll come back to play. I don't know what they saw on TV. He looks like he lost like 60, 70 pounds from when he played football. He does not look like he would be able to play football, and he's still like in his early 30s. But uh, I thought that was interesting being, you know, when you're in the stadium and they have all the cold signs and you're really there for a college football game. So. He did look totally different. Yeah, he looks older and skinny. You know, it's definitely that football <laughs> body that you have to put on. Let's talk about the game, Ira, because this was an interesting matchup in a sense that I think that everyone was split down the middle. You had people that Alabama can't lose. They just beat them. You had, And then there was 50-50. The other people thinking that Georgia's going to crush them just because they're, you know, so good top to bottom. I mean, that's what made this so so exciting to me. There was no clear-cut favorite to me. There's no clear-cut favorite, and I think Alabama sort of outplayed. They seem to be playing better for most of the game. I mean, it starts out the first like seems series of the game. Bryce Young fumbles the ball, and Georgia ran in for a touchdown, but they ruled it wasn't a fumble, it was a pass. But that was key that it wasn't like suddenly they turned the ball over immediately. But then they were stopped. Now, this is the trend. Alabama could not convert in the red zone. They were stopped for a field goal, made it 3 nothing. But Georgia, just on offense, similar to what happened the final three quarters in the uh, game, the SEC championship game in Atlanta, they just could do nothing on offense. Two, three and outs. Bama went three and out also. But uh, then they actually scored a space. They actually had this long pass, Stetson Bennett, to Pickens for 52 yards, tied at 3-3 at the end of the first quarter. But the key play in the second quarter was Bryce Young threw to Jamison Williams, the star wide receiver, who's supposed to be the number one wide receiver picked in the uh, NFL draft. Uh, to Jamison Williams for 40 yards, but he tore his ACL. They didn't know at the time, but he got injured on that play. Similar to John Mechie, who was in the SEC title game, got injured. And it's that, I think, was very key because it seemed like for years now, Alabama just replaces uh, Judy with Ruggs, with Waddle, with Devontae Smith, uh, then with Mechie, with Williams. It just, they have so many wide receivers, and I think maybe it came to an end because they really didn't have anyone after Williams went out. There was really no one steps up, and uh, RG, RG Hall uh, dropped a pass. And then there was this fall. They were they had a third and one, and uh, on the like on the uh, like six seven yard line, and they were forced then to uh, kick a field goal. So it made it six three. And then Bama came down again, young to through another really good pass, and they got down right like right down to the two yard line, and they ended up having to kick another field goal to go up nine three. But this is when you know this is a domination that Alabama had the first quarter and a half. This could have been twenty one three, could have you know, but instead in seventeen three, it said it's only nine three. And then Georgia ended up kicking a field goal at the end of the first half to make it 9-6. So I think if you're a Bama fan, you're like, we controlled the game. Georgia's not doing anything on offense. And if we should just convert those field goals to touchdowns, 
sort of like we're going to talk about Cincinnati had against the Raiders. You know, it seemed like every time Cincinnati went game, they kicked field goals and couldn't score. But that's what kept Georgia in the game, that red zone defense, which was tremendous, and Alabama's inability to convert in the red zone. But it was 9-6 at the end of the first half. Yeah, and that was one thing that stood out to me. It looked to me, Ira, in that first half that Stetson Bennett was not ready for this game. Uh, you, you know, you – he may not be an NFL court prospect, whereas Bryce Young might be the you know the first overall pick in two years. But he just looked overmatched, and I was really worried for Georgia in that first half. Yeah, and even then, I mean, people were sitting next to me that were Georgia fans were saying, "We want JT Daniels in the game." JT Daniels was the number one high school player in the country. He went to USC, that couldn't lost a starting job there, then transferred to Georgia, and people felt like they're waiting. He's supposed to be the quarterback, but hurt his knee. And so people were keep waiting for like waiting for Godot, waiting for JT Daniels, and Bennett would just not give up the position. But still, even in the championship game, people were like, well, maybe he'll come in and rescue us. And then in the third quarter, Bryce Young threw a terrible interception. But Georgia, again, three and out, couldn't do anything with it. Then, and Alabama went on the drive. It was 17 plays, 68 yards, almost eight minutes. They, instead of them passing, they were going east. They're called the east to west passes. They sort of just split through screens to the left, screens to the right. Uh, Robinson was running the ball great, uh, just did everything correctly. They got down uh, to like the 20-yard line, and Adia Hall caught a touchdown pass, but then dropped it. But that would have made the score 16-6, maybe in the middle, near the end of the third quarter. And I think that would have been the end of the game, really. At that point, I don't see Georgia coming back. But then Alvin went to kick the field goal to make it 12-6, and it's blocked. So that was sort of, and I think that totally changed the entire game. Because Georgia, on the next play, Cook, the running back, went 67 yards on a play. And then in like three more plays, they went and they ended up scoring a touchdown, making it 13-9. And then Bama came right back down. Like, again, Bama could move on the Georgia defense. They just couldn't get touchdowns. They had first and goal at the five. And instead of had an incompletion pass, another incompletion pass, and just kicked a field goal to make it 13-12. So it's like they went down five times in the red zone and only got uh, uh, four field goals out of those five times instead of any touchdowns. And that's just, you know, there's no way you can win. But even then, Bama in the fourth quarter, uh, Stetson Bennett fumbled the ball. There was a question, you know, on the TV, this review lasted, I think, forever. When he fumbled (laughs) it, Bama picked it up. You know, was his arm going forward? Was it not going forward? I thought it was really close. From the the replay views I saw, I couldn't tell. From TV, what were they saying sort of on television? Because it was hard in the stadium to even see what it was. Yeah, it it was difficult to make out, you know, as well. But, yeah, it did seem to go go on forever here. Um, But, yeah, either way, I, I wasn't clear on what they were trying to portray to us. Right. So then, and then it ended up they did roll a fumble. Alabama got the ball, scored a touchdown, and made it. Uh, it made it eighteen thirteen. And with ten minutes to go in the game, and you're like, okay, this is over. This game is over. I really felt like this game was over at that point. But then Stetson Bennett starts to you know throws a pass. Suddenly he just aired it out. Just aired it yeah. down. They went and scored a touchdown to uh, Mitchell, the forty yard pass, making nineteen eighteen. Then Bama goes three and out. Hall had another drop. And Georgia then just again, it just goes right down again. The Alabama defense, which was great the entire game, just like melted. The tide just went, you know, in. It was like low tide into the high tide. And they went down and, uh, and then it threw it to Brock Bowers for a touchdown, made it 26-18. And then they're still only down eight, but then Bryce Young threw a pick six. Game is over. 
But it was like one of those things where you just – like it just all fell apart. With 10 minutes to go, 18-13, you really thought Bama had this game wrapped up. And you know, Bama went 9 for 20 on third down conversions. Uh, Georgia was only 4 for 12. They were about the same in terms of yardage. And Georgia had 70 penalty yards, 10 penalties. Uh, so it's just like one of those things where Bryce Young still – he had a good game. He passed for 369 yards, one touchdown, those two interceptions. But And Georgia ran the ball better this time, 140 yards. Bama didn't run, 28 carries, 30 yards, and that's probably what happened. Hurt them in the red zone, unable to move that ball in the, in the red zone. But uh, Bama's defense had five sacks, uh, seven tackles for losses, and Georgia almost the same, four sacks and nine tackles for losses. But I think, you know, from a perspective, this was a national championship that Georgia was favored to win for a better team. And you really – it was like Alabama was going to steal this national championship, but then Georgia came in and ended up winning. They were building for this, and it was the first one since 1980. So it's been 40 years since they, they won anything in terms of national championship. But a big win for Kirby Smart, beating his mentor, uh, Nick Saban, and, and winning the national championship. There's a – I do feel good for Kirby Smart, and there's a picture. I don't know if you saw it. Um, when the interception happens, the pick six at the end, he jumps in the air and he's like four feet off the air. Kirby White, uh, Kirby Smart can jump. I was really impressed. I don't know if you saw that. I saw, no, I was, they were just showing that on TV just now. And, you know, his enthusiasm and his energy and the team. And then it was, it was like the relief. I have some great pictures on Iron Sports on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter of like Kirby kissing the trophy. And I mean, that trophy was a symbol of like I mean, all this struggle and everyone was saying, like, you can never beat Saban, you can't beat Saban. And look at Stetson Bennett. He was a quarterback at Georgia. Then he transfers to a junior college. He walked on the program. So that was a surprise. Then he transfers to a junior college. They beg him to come back. He comes back and they said, you're never going to be the quarterback here. But he ends up becoming the starting quarterback. And then he leads Georgia to the national championship. Uh, just a great win. And then in a team with a defense with all these NFL players, uh, they all came together, played great. And uh, it was really a team performance. I mean, you had se- he completed 17 passes and nine different wide receivers and running backs caught passes. So it was like they shared the ball as a running game. They had like four running backs that were carrying all the balls. They had a lot of wide receivers and defense they played, you know, a team defense type game. So Georgia's well-deserving. They were the best team all year. Alabama struggled this year, but I thought that Alabama could get that national title in the end. But uh, it was, it was, it, look, it was great. I, you know how much I love college football. And I'll say this, when I was watching in that third and fourth quarter and you're seeing what Alabama is doing against Georgia, and I'm thinking about the Ohio State's, the Michigans, the Penn States, the Oregons, and all these other teams that, that had you know, Pitt. None of those teams could have – these guys, these two teams went into – they didn't just go to the deep end of the pool. They left the pool and went to the ocean, and they went <laughs> deep in there. Like, they were playing – this was not like – this was there was no one else that was going to be. When you're watching these two teams play, how hard they hit, how hard they tackled, the intensity, the ferocity, there was no way anybody else could play with them. They were by far the two best teams in the country, and uh, they were – it was like it was like there's no doubt. Like, the, the winner of this game totally deserved it to be the national champion. 100% agree with you on that. Well, let's bring in Rodney Orr from Tider Insider. This is Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. We're welcome to have back uh, sort of regular uh, Rodney Orr from the Tider Insider. Uh, I was at the national championship game last Monday, so it's been about a week. What's going on in Alabama? How are they taking that, that loss? I mean, what a game. Um, but, uh, Rodney, what, what's, whatever, what are they saying down there in Tuscaloosa about the, the loss to Georgia in the national championship game? Well, uh, you know, interestingly enough, Ira, it's it's not uh, it's not maybe what people would think. 
Um, you know, because look, this team, and we've talked about it on your show before, all the losses that they experienced in terms of the personnel over the last couple of years. And yeah, Alabama fans expected to be in the race for the national championship. But as this season unfolded, and you probably noticed this, they had to overcome a ton of adversity uh, that was due to a lack of experience, a lack of leadership, all those things that had to be developed over the course of the season. So I think really most realistic Alabama fans out there see this season and say, wow, this was like one of Nick Saban's greatest coaching jobs, if not his greatest coaching job since he's been here. Because this team overcame so much adversity to put themselves in a position to win the national championship with eight or nine minutes, they're up by five points, uh, you know, to, to win the championship in a season that really, if you want to look at it and call it a reloading or rebuilding year, that's kind of what it was. So I think most Alabama fans are very excited about what this team did. And then as you start to look forward, uh, the passion and the uh, purpose that the players who are returning next year are going to have, you know, as they pursue this championship again. I mean, I guess the, the question would be in the first half where Georgia just could not, it seemed like a repeat of the SEC championship game where Georgia just could not get their offense going. Alabama's mm-hmm. defense played awesome, but mm-hmm. Alabama kept settling for those field goals right. in the red zone and were not able to convert them. I mean, they could have easily been up 21 to 3. Been, this right. could have been a complete repeat, except for the first right. of being down 10 nothing. But if, if, if they get up that lead on 21 3, they just could not get you know, the field goals or field goals instead of the touchdowns. Well, that's a great point. You just summarized the key to the game, really. And I think that's another thing that Alabama fans believe is. You know, this Georgia team was considered, quote-unquote, at one time, maybe one of the best in in recent memory, Uh, and and I think that was disproved a little bit in the SEC championship game. And then I think in this game here, if you look at it, there's probably five or six throws that Bryce Young made that could have been the difference in the game. But, Ira, when you're without your two elite receivers – 175 catches among them, over 2,000 yards, 25-plus touchdowns. Uh, You lose Jamison Williams on the first play of the second quarter. You lost uh, John Mechie in the SEC championship game. So there go your two big weapons. But what Bryce Young did was actually pretty phenomenal. He threw for 369 yards, as you know. He had a couple of two two touchdowns, two or three touchdowns, or would-be touchdowns dropped. And I think that's the difference in the game. Because had they made those catches, had Cameron Latou caught that ball at the goal line, he was across the goal line, uh, that's a touchdown. That's a that's a huge difference. Um, you know, had Ajay Hall made a couple of catches, he had one in the back of the end zone that he dropped. You also had another one later in the game that would have been a walk-in touchdown that he didn't reel in. So uh, I, I think that's the key. It's just, you know, the, the youth at the receiver spot really showed up in this game with those drop passes. And, and that was, as you mentioned, had to settle for field goals and so forth. So that's, uh, you know, that was the difference in the game. Yeah, I mean, I to me, that third quarter, when after Alabama threw the interception, Georgia went three and out. Now right. they had that 17 play, 68-yard right. drive, eight minutes. It seemed like Georgia's defense was just like they were now tally kicking Georgia. It's like, you're, you're great. You're phenomenal. Well, we're just going to take it to you. We're going to release right. to West. Brian Robinson was running great. And then, then Young throws it to Hall wide open in the end zone where he just drops the ball. 
I think if they could take that score and make that 16-6 and put, you know, pressure on Bennett, you know, at that situation, but instead he drops it and then they miss the field goal. That was just the whole momentum. You could just feel the air deflating. I was on the Alabama side, but that yep. seemed to me. And then the Georgia fans, it just the energy, it just, it just switched. The whole energy went from one side of the stadium yep. to the other side of the stadium. It did. That was, that was a very key moment in the game. That, that, uh, part where you uh, detailed there was certainly key. I tell you, another key time in the game was when, you know, still at the, at the same time, Alabama forces a fumble uh, on Bennett, recovers it, Brian Branch. They convert with the touchdown, a tremendous throw by Bryce Young. This time, Latu hangs on to it. And Alabama's up 18-13 with 10 minutes left in the game. And I think it was probably at that point that Todd Munkin got on the headset and said, look, Kirby, you're going to have to stay out of my way because I've got to call this game the way, I, way we got. We're going to have to be aggressive. And I think they, they came out and Stetson Bennett, I got to hand it to the guy. I mean, you know, he's limited in a lot of ways, but he's a, such a great competitor. And he made some incredible, you know, confident throws, uh, and that, that, you know, just marched right down the field and then dropped that dime in there uh, for the touchdown that put them up 19 to 18. And from there on, I mean, it was, you know, Alabama really could not get anything going offensively to, to you know, put themselves in a position. But now it was 26 to 18, as you know, uh, when Bama was driving again and uh, maybe in desperation mode a little bit. And I think the, the young wide receiver, Treshawn Holden, might have run the wrong route. And they got the pick six and it was over. But, yeah, those were some of the key points in the game. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, – when Bennett fumbled the ball, you know, the review of that, it, I mean, it, it seemed like it was like a half an hour review where they decided right. – and the idea was because Bryce Young had fumbled earlier, the same situation was a fumble, was a pass, and they ruled the one way. I mean, it just – it said it seemed like it was forever. And then there were Georgia fans around me that were like, even at that moment, now, <laughs> we should put JT Daniels in the game. Like, that's invented even in the final with ten minutes to go in the game where he was going right. to become the superstar player was still saying, well, can we still put JT Daniels? Can he come in and rescue us in this game? And then, of course, they leave Bennett in and he leads him to victory. Well, yeah. But, you know, again, I, I, I think uh... – I've always thought Stetson Bennett, for all his limitations, had some special qualities uh, that that kind of were redeeming for him. And, uh, you know, we saw some of those. Uh, But, you know, you you talked about how well the Alabama defense played in the game for the most part until there at the end. And that was pretty much my prediction. Yeah, that was my prediction in the SEC championship game. That was my prediction heading into this game was that the Alabama defense would be the key. And, uh, you know, they played incredibly. I mean, they were, like you said, they they pretty much limited. Stetson Bennett, I think, only had like 130 yards passing until like the final 10 or 12 minutes of the game. So they had done a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, again, just give it to Georgia. They hung in there. They made plays in the red zone. When they had an opportunity at the end of the game to close it out, they did it. And I think, too, that goes back to this, Ira. They have a lot of veteran players. They had a lot of guys that had been in their program for a long time, three, four, five years, some. And I think when you look at Alabama, it was kind of different. You know, a lot of young players. 
They were, uh, frankly, on the offensive line. This was a makeshift offensive line for Alabama this year. They lost three key players last year to the NFL. And when I say makeshift, I'm, I'm relatively speaking, of course. It's not that it's a bad one, but it's just not really up to the standard that they had had in 2020. So do you think, so from the Bama perspective, they're not feeling the tide has totally shifted as we use the Alabama Christmas no. tide to Georgia. They no. feel like, okay, Georgia's got this, and you know we're still, we're still going to get the top recruits. They're going to get top recruits, and we're still Bama. This was just, we were, hey, we're fortunate to even just be in that championship game, and, and, and the team played great, and we liked how Bryce played, and we're getting him back next year playing, and uh, uh, so we're ready to go. So that'd be good. Well, well uh, yeah. Listen, I think there's disappointment. Because at the you know you you lost an opportunity to win the back to back national championship you never want to lose uh, so there's disappointment in that but I also think you know when you step back and look at it a minute and like I said earlier you know the what they overcame just to get to that point I mean with two minutes left in the Auburn game who would have thunk that Alabama would be playing for the national championship you know uh, so they got to that point and. I think when you look at the promise of next year, all the players coming back that they have, they should be really good up front offensively. They've got a lot of good, a lot of good young players. They've got a tremendous young quarterback, Bryce Young, obviously. Uh, you know, and they've got some other skilled people. They've got some exciting running backs coming back. Jace McClellan was probably well, he was the best back on the team, but he was injured early in the year, as you know. He'll be back, but they've got a transfer coming in named Jameer Gibbs, who played at Georgia Tech, who is a tremendous player. He's going to give Alabama that speed guy, that different gear, uh, and he's a tremendous receiver out of the backfield. So now they probably would like to add a wide receiver from the portal if they can find the right guy. Maybe maybe they can find another Jamison Williams type somewhere. Um, and if they can do that and uh, mold these young guys they have, uh, they should be really potent again offensively. Defensively, they're returning a lot of guys. So I think there's a lot of confidence, uh, you know, as you start to look forward to next year, uh, that this team can, can get back on track with the national championship, uh, hopefully. Well, Rodney, I really appreciate you getting on on such short notice and talking about the game. And uh, it was great being there. And just, uh, it was just, I, I just, your enthusiasm for Bama football. And once again, let uh, my listeners know how, if we, you know, if any, I know there's tons of Bama fans down here in South Florida, but how, how uh, to follow you and, and what's the best way to, to, to follow Tider Insider? Right. Well, TiderInsider.com, it's only $48 a year. Uh, you can get instant access with the credit card that gives you our premium information, but also our all sports forum, which it's our community of Alabama fans. Uh, and I'm on there quite a bit on our all sports forum. We exchange a lot of information, uh, insight, opinions, you know, all of those things that go with Alabama football. But it's, you know, anything that happens in college football, it appears right there on tighterinsider.com almost instantly. So, uh, you know, Ira, as we like to say, it never really stops on TiderInsider.com. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks again, Rodney, for coming on Ira and Sports. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ira. Great stuff, as always, there <clears throat> with Rodney Orr from Tider Insider. Um, Ira, I want to move on to the NFL because you had uh, an interesting week weekend here in Kansas City. And as you were saying earlier, you're loving the fans and the city in general. 
Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I got here on Friday. I was going to stay in Indianapolis and go to a basketball game, but it started. To, it was going to be this big snowstorm, so I sort of got the stagecoaches and went down in the Midwest. Down it was about a seven-hour drive down to uh, Kansas City, and I came in and I went to this one place called Prime Social, and it's this rooftop in the Plaza District, and it is like this cool hip bar restaurant on the top of a tall building. You can overlook all of Kansas City. Plus, they have like I don't know. 40 big screen TVs and they have this outdoor thing. We can sit outside, have great food in a fire pit while you have a big screen and look over the city of Kansas city. So it was pretty cool. If we were not there that night, but it was pretty cool. And I stayed at a hotel. I'm staying there right now called the Fontaine, which is right there, which is also has a rooftop too. So it's called the Plaza district of Kansas city. Very, very nice. And really enjoyed it. I mean, the only thing they don't do, they got snow here that Friday night and they don't believe in plowing at all. I mean, there's no <laughs> plows out. The roads are so bad. Like I'm used to, you know, in Pittsburgh, they take, you know, salt, those things that doesn't happen down here, but uh, it was, it was still very good to go be in Kansas city, see the excitement, enthusiasm of the team. And people were like happy to like, they love to see Steelers fans coming in. Now they're, they're excited that Bill's fans are coming into the city. So it's a, this is a definitely a football town. They love their football tradition. And uh, it's like, everyone's wearing, you know, like when you go to the games, you go to some games, like if you go to a jet or giant game and people are too cool to wear their colors and the Chiefs colors is like bright red and yellow and you know everyone's wearing it everyone no one's wearing like the green sort of different jacket whatever everyone has chief gear on and, and or Steeler gear so that's what made the game so exciting to, to be in that atmosphere and they love to tailgate the stadium is outside the city sort of in an area where you go and, and so it's all parking lots around which I don't like you know how I like it being more downtown but still tons of tailgating everybody's out there having a good time and uh, that even and the weather got lucky it was like in the terrific people said are you so cold it was like 32 33 in the morning it was like 15 it warmed up and then the high of the day was at night so that was pretty cool if they played in the afternoon it would be a lot colder than if they played it at night yeah Ira one of the things I do love about cities like that is there's one team you know Growing up in New York, everyone's divided on Jets and Giants. In my in you know Florida, we've got transplants from all over, so there's not a massive Dolphins fan base. But cities like that, it just shuts down, right? I mean, it's like every single person is either watching the game or at the game. Yeah, and they don't have a basketball team, and they don't have a hockey team. So it's really just baseball. And this is the one stadium that it's neat. Both these stadiums are, like, right next to each other. And at one point, they were going to put a roof that was going to be in the middle of the stadiums. And I, I, the stadiums might be, like, 200 yards apart from each other. But they were going to put a, a roof in that was going to slide back and forth over two stadiums, which is a proposal, which they haven't done. But uh, uh, it, that's really what it is. So this time of year, without baseball going on, I mean, that's all this town has is football, and, and they sell it every game enthusiasm and yeah, you're right and yesterday everything was shut down for the game let's talk about your tickets because sometimes you get in some issues with trying to get the perfect seat and i think you said your seats were like amazing i think it was the perfect seat i bought it early and i was like nervous i was in the club it was in the first row so i didn't I was nervous about people you know throwing the the again the terrible towels if i was in the Steelers section and the chiefs they waved their towels too but I, it was really like on the 50 in the club on the first row. It was one of the best seats I've ever had. It let me get some really great pictures of Ben. It was behind the Steeler bench. So I got to see Ben come back after and sort of warm up. He always like warms up on the sideline sometimes. So it was really cool. I loved my ticket. I loved everything about it. And the club, they have a great club there. You know, some of these clubs, 
that are um, that that are just it's too crowded, but they have like lots of bathrooms. It's it's deeper, so you didn't feel like even people who are using the club it was like so like it's bigger than even the Dolphin were at the at the uh, Hard Rock Stadium. So I really liked the club there, and everything about it was good. And it's just it's a very good stadium, and the and the people are really friendly and nice. As I said it's not like I did not get any of this. Oh, Steelers go home. So, I mean, this is people were just great. Like oh my gosh, it's so great. There's so many Steeler fans here. They would have been mad that there were Steelers. There. You know, I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, they love it. They just love it. I just love their attitude. And uh, it was just, it was great to be there. So let's talk about the game, Ira, because definitely not the result that, uh, you know, you and other Steelers fans were looking for. Well, I think a lot of Steelers fans weren't as optimistic as I was. <laughs> I mean, three weeks ago, the Steelers were down 23 nothing at halftime and got totally blown out of the game. Juju Smith-Schuster has been out for about three months and came back for the game. And But the, but the last time I was there, the Steelers ended up winning a playoff game 18-16, uh, where they upset Alex Smith. For the uh, for the Chiefs before Patrick Mahomes, I think Patrick Mahomes at the time was on the bench at the time of that game, but he he hadn't uh, started playing. But uh, uh, but in the first quarter, it, the Steelers who not been able to do anything on offense. They had 14 plays, 12 yards. The Chiefs, but what was surprising is the Chiefs couldn't get their offense going. They had 62 yards the entire first quarter. Um, you know, Steelers had literally five possessions and and just punting, punting, punting. And then uh, Mahomes uh, had an interception. It was kicked by Watt, intercepted by Bush, which I thought was huge. I mean, Steelers got this great field position, everything, then they ended up punting the ball. And it was like they couldn't even take advantage of that. And then with like 10 minutes to go in the second quarter, uh, Kansas City decided to go with a stupid wildcat with McCole Hartman and Williams, where they, they were, you know, like you have the best quarterback in the world, Mahomes. Why would any? Why would you snap it to anyone but those two? But they like to try, you know, do something crazy like that. And they fumbled the ball. Watt picked up the ball, scored, and made seven nothing Steelers. And you thought that would have energized the Steelers. I think that was the wake-up call that the Kansas City, because the moment they scored, I saw on the sidelines, Tyreek Hill was screaming at Andy Reid, like, get me the ball, get me the ball. Mahomes is going crazy. It was definitely this wake-up call. It was like we're, they could see themselves losing to the lowly Steelers that they were favored by 13 points. So it was like 10 minutes to go in that quarter, and suddenly it was just – it was nonstop. Hill for 20 yards, Mahone rushed for 23 yards, and then they should throw a shuffle pass underhand to McKinnon for a touchdown. The Steelers go three on and again. Then Kansas City throws it to Kelsey for 31 yards. McKinnon has two large runs, and they throw to Pringle another touchdown, 14-7. Steelers go three and out again. And Kansas City, with 52 seconds left, they Mahone's to Marcus Robinson, and then Mahone's to 48-yard touchdown pass to Kelsey, 21-7. So it went from 7 nothing to 21-7 in just like six minutes. But uh, and that was like that was just and I think at that point it's like wow like you just as a Steeler fan I was like what just happened I was just just and they played <laughs> at halftime they had this music they had a, 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 a music musician come on and they had all these speakers on the field it was so loud like the stadium was shaking and I was still like what just happened I mean the Steelers were in this game and suddenly they're down twenty one seven yeah it 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 was like the floodgates opened for for Kansas City it. The game was actually it was fun. I mean, I know it was a lot of punts, Ira, but it wasn't like terrible. I was I like a battle like that when a team that you're expecting to score forty five points is getting held back, and you guys held them in check really well as right up until that point. Right, and then the second half comes, and and Kansas City, you, you knew Kansas was supposed to get the ball to start, so that's what was so weird at the end of the first half when they got made it fourteen seven, then twenty one seven. They get the ball back, they drive down again, and they they scream like big man touchdown. They threw it to an offensive line, and Alec Eddy made it twenty eight seven, and then. And you knew everything was there. 28-7, and Najee Harris 
has carried the ball 307 times this year, had 74 catches, so he's had 381 times he's touched the ball, never fumbled the ball, he fumbles the ball. Like, like at that point, <laughs> like the one time he fumbled, and then Mahomes throws it now over. His, his arm was hurt, he's injured, he was, you know, trying to play, and then Mahomes the hills for a touchdown, and then by then, you know, Steelers had some other touchdowns at the end. I was really upset. You know, one of the things we went through a lot of the drives, I mean, Ben was not sharp, wasn't, didn't have a great first half, but I, and their offensive line is struggling. But DeAndre Johnson, like three drops, I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, again, the Steelers think that Claypool and Johnson, and you saw Washington and Schuster in there, they have four really good wide receivers, but the drops, I, I don't know any other team that has their players just drop balls, and especially DeAndre Johnson, who people think is this elite wide receiver. I know he was on your fantasy team this year, but you must have seen in this game, like, this is easy. Like, these aren't, like, you know, in-coverage catches. They're, like, just small, like, five-yard little outs, catch the ball and run. One that Antonio Brown caught all the time, he just drops the ball. Yeah, and it's interesting. Deontay had been better this season. Last season was a mess. And then this season, he was actually pretty good. And then this game, I mean, you could, he was taking his eye off the ball. He was already looking upfield before he made the catch, and he did it three times. And it was just, I'm sure Ben was not thrilled about that. But he didn't let him have it as, like he would have, you know, last year when it was really bad. No, I mean, it was Mahomes finished with 404 yards. He was 30 for 39, five touchdowns. I mean, it was interesting. They don't have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They have Jared McKinnon who comes in this game, and he has 12 carries for 61 yards. And, and they were big, ca- you know, and then he actually caught six balls for 81. So they got actually more production on the running back than even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would getting them. But now they got Tariq Hill, had, you know, 60 catches, 60 yards for, had a touchdown. Hardman caught, Pringle caught, Kelsey, of course, 108 yards. It, it, it seems like Mahomes, and when you see Mahomes in person, it is, he was I, I, we criticize him because he makes two mistakes like the interception, but his ability to just move, he sees everything and his ability to buy that extra time to move around. And he doesn't, he's not running around to run. He actually runs around to buy himself with passing lanes, move it. He's, and Hill, his wide receivers, like, oh, I was sitting. You could just see Kelsey and Hill just like, they are going like they're like, they're playing chess and everyone else, the Steelers were playing checkers. Like it was like, they were running and like, like Hill sometimes was so wide open. They're like, cover him cover him like you knew it was going to go to him and uh it was just when the floodgates started opening you just by him buying time the homes and his, and his arm is so strong that he has the entire field like sometimes the Steelers would say oh he'll never throw it across the field but the whole field's open for him he is he's playing at it like he and Rodgers play with the strong arms they have which is, and I think Herbert will be like that too with Josh Allen which is they have the whole field they can use whereas the other quarterbacks aren't able to use that field I mean it's it was sad and after the game then, you know, it was like, you know, hugged everybody. And it was just, it was, he had got it down on us, like, final play to it, like the one-yard line, the fire moved in and score. But it was still – I got a great picture of him, like, raising his hand before he left the field, waving to all the Steeler fans that were there. But uh, it was a sad ending. I mean, clearly it's – as I said, I'm not happy that Ben's leaving. I think it's going to be hard. I don't want to go through 20 more years of quarterbacks to find another Ben. I know how hard it is to get quarterbacks in this league. And I, I do think you're a prime destination for many of these guys who may be changing jobs. So it could work out uh, sooner rather than later, uh, especially with that aforementioned very good receiving core and defense. It's 740 Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. Let's go to New England and Buffalo, Ira. And this is a game I was really keen on the Patriots upset. I, I thought that Belichick with this super cold weather was going to come up with some scheme 
And I could not have been more wrong. Josh Allen looked like a superhero every time he threw the ball. It was just an amazing performance from Josh Allen. They got the running game going, and that's got to be dangerous for every team in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, it was like one of the coldest games, seven degrees minus four. But I think this game was won on December 6th. That's when New England beat Buffalo 14-10. There was like 40-mile-an-hour wind, uh, 40-mile-an-hour winds. And the New England ran the ball three times, passed the ball three times, ran the ball for 222 yards. And then after the game, people were asking Sean McDermott, like, you know, how are you embarrassed that Belichick outcoached you? They asked Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde if they were embarrassed about the game. And we joked about this, saying, look, you know, guys, you know, they, they were like mad the reporters even asked the question. But clearly that hit a nerve because since then, Buffalo has been you know, virtually almost unbeatable. And then they beat, they, on December 26th, they won 33-21. And now this, I mean, they, they, could there be a perfect game? They had the ball seven times and they scored seven touchdowns. They didn't turn the ball over. They didn't punt. Uh, it was, uh, they were six for seven on third down conversions. So they weren't even getting to third down a lot. I mean, it's just unbelievable to think that, that a team could play a perfect game. I mean, this was, this was as close. It just shows you that when you hear teams that score like 70 points, it's almost impossible because Buffalo had the ball seven times and scored seven touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, he had five touchdowns on 21 completions. Like, <laughs> you're getting a touchdown every fourth throw. It's just unfathomable. He... And you know what? You know you were talking about arms earlier. He's another one. He's built for this. You know the the cold. The wind was one thing, but the cold's not going to bother him. He's got as big of an arm as anyone in the league. And I don't know. I I, I can't see this team not going to the Super Bowl. I, I just I think they're going to if they can keep Devin Singletary running. I think they're going to run through the ASC. Well, that's why next week. I mean, everyone. I mean. You talk about it. Of course, we love the wild card weekend, the super wild card weekend. But next week's games, everyone, every, we'll talk to them a little bit, a few more minutes, but every single one of them is going to be great. And Buffalo at Kansas City, Allen versus Mahomes. I mean, a repeat of last year's ASC Championship game and the fact that Buffalo's learned from that. I mean, this is just, just you can't ask for anything more. And this is going to be great. And it, you're right. I mean, this was the win that Buffalo all, I mean, I saw Buffalo when they played against Tampa Bay and they looked bad in that game. And both of like, you know, what you like to see is that Buffalo and Kansas City are the two teams that struggled this year, had some droughts where they didn't look like they were playing at their best, had their problems, but now they are on all their cylinders going and they're headed on a collision course for each other in one week. And that is going to be like a monster, monster game in Kansas City between Buffalo and KC. Yeah, that has to be. Uh, if they do another Monday night, it's got to be that. If not Sunday night, that's the game <laughs> that, that, uh, that I think everyone wants well, no, to see. That, that, game, that game will be on uh, that game will be on Sunday night at 630 in Kansas City's favorite by two. So that'll be a Sunday. That'll be the, that's the final game of the weekend. So that'll be a, a great Sunday night football game next weekend. Let's move on to uh, Las Vegas and Cincinnati. What Joe Burrow continues to do it, Ira, and you know we talked about it on this show. It's something magical about how he they went from the worst team in the league two years ago to now this offense scares everyone just with the addition of him and Jamar Chase. Nice wins, twenty six nineteen over the Raiders. I think a lot of people are criticizing Cincinnati for this game. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, there's something, first of all, they had, Cincinnati had not won a playoff game in 31 years. 
the Raiders have not won a playoff game since 2002. So this was for both of them. And I like what Zach Taylor did. He gave game balls to like the local bars and everything. But the Bengals had four, t- four field goals and two touchdowns to start. People were criticizing them for the field goals. And uh, yeah, they had problems. But this was, this was a situation where, I mean, I think they just needed to win this game. I don't think Cincinnati was looking to win and dominate. They, they did what they had to do to win the game. Uh, I mean, they got a strip sack on Carr earlier. Hendrickson uh, uh, stri- uh, got there. And, and since, but since 2014, Carr's are the most fumbles in the league. Uh, but since I just got a field goal, it was like 10-3. Uh, then Chase, they, they were using Jamar Chase running and also passing, which was great. And they made it 13-3. But again, that's where people felt like Cincinnati at that 13-3 should have been, as we talked about Bam and Georgia, been up at, at further because then the Raiders stayed in the game 13-6. And then, uh, again, at the end of the first half, they scored that, that the key play was on fourth and one. They got Chase got a sweep to get the first down. And then Burroughs, near the end of the second quarter, Burrow goes to throw the ball. It looked like he stepped out of bounds, but before he stepped out, he threw bounds. He threw to Boyd in the end zone. Well, the referee, now when you're watching it on television, you don't hear the whistle blow, but it did, they run the replay, the whistle blowed, and it clearly had blowed because they thought he stepped out of bounds, but he didn't, and then Boyd catches the touchdown. The play should have been ruled dead. I mean, everyone knows the whistle blows, the play is dead. It's always that. That's why they let the plays run even on stupid little fumbles. You see people run because they don't want to blow the play dead because once the whistle blows. But then the official goes, I didn't blow the whistle before. I mean, it was just stupid. I mean, you could hear it. New York heard it. Everybody heard what happened, and they still ruled it a touchdown, and now the Raider fans are all upset about it. I still think, you know, they would have lost the game, but I feel like that was ridiculous. And now the crew is being criticized for that whole how they handled it. They're not going to referee any more in the rest of the playoffs. But that was that was like one of the key plays in terms of what happened uh, in, in the game, and, and just again a bad officiating. Like how in the world you know you blow when you blew the whistle, and then clearly it was way before the person caught the touchdown pass. And it's interesting, the NFL never admits they're wrong. Like to come out and and remove uh, Jerome Boger's team from the playoffs altogether, that's massive. I mean, they never take blame for anything, so you know it was egregious. Yeah, and then and then uh, in the second half, it was, uh, you know, Cincinnati went up, took 23, they were up 23-13, and then they were up 23-16, and uh, they drove all the way down to the 10 with six minutes left. Again, another field goal. It was like continuing. I think McKirsten had like five field goals, the most field goals for a rookie kicker, and uh then on Raiders had the ball fourth and five with the game on the line. Carr throws it to Deshaun Jackson. That was amazing. Like, where's Deshaun Jackson? He comes out of nowhere, catches it. And they go, they go for a field goal, make it 26-19. I was surprised that they didn't try to score there with a few minutes to go in the game. Cincinnati goes three and out fast. And this is very similar to the Dallas game. It's almost exactly like it because the Raiders with two minutes to go, no timeouts. Uh, they got a roughing the passer. And then they was like third and 17. They threw this 23-yard pass to Waller. They marched the whole way down. And it was first and nine on the nine and what and like Prescott, you know, making mistakes. Not Carr goes and spikes the ball. You have 30 seconds left. Run the play. Don't blow a play. Then the second down, Carr threw a, threw an incompletion. Third down, an incompletion, and the fourth and goal, uh, he threw the interception. But there were still 17 seconds left on fourth and goal. Now, I just again, I hate when teams spike the ball. When you have a chance to run a play, you're only going to get four chances, and you have 30 seconds to go. So I think that was a big mistake on their part and Carr's part. Uh, again, Prescott makes a mistake. Carr makes a mistake. These teams can't. These are veteran quarterbacks that shouldn't make mistakes at the end of the game like that. No, I agree. And I don't know if you saw this breaking news. Mike Mayock, the general manager of the Raiders, has been fired after three seasons. I'm sure it wasn't just you know, because of this game, but uh, obviously they're going a different direction there and uh, with John Gruden having already left earlier in the season. 
yeah, and you expect the coach to get Rosati to be, even though he did a great year holding this team together, but expect him. If they're going to, once you, once they bring a new general manager in, they're probably going to hire their own coach. So it's the same situation that you have all throughout the league in terms of when the coach gets fired, the, the, when the, you know, general manager, you're looking for a general manager, the general manager picks the coach, just like in the Giants, but situation. But now Cincinnati, with that win, uh, goes on to play Tennessee. Tennessee's favorite, they'll play that on Saturday. Tennessee's favored by three, let's see what that's by three uh, in the game. I think that's an exciting game. I mean, I really think this is going to be great in terms of how Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati's going to win this game. I think Cincinnati's offense is so awesome. I'm a big fan of Burrow. I think they're going to upset Tennessee. I don't know if Derrick Henry, who's been off forever, comes back and is able to play. But I've been doubting Tennessee for years after years and doubting Ryan Tannehill, so we'll see. But I would, I'm picking Cincinnati in this game. Yeah, I would take Cincinnati as well. I I, I can't believe the Titans are the one seed. They're the least sexy one seed I've ever seen in my life. And I like the, I like the Titans, but I don't know about that. Let's go on at 749, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Let's talk Eagles and Tampa Bay. Man, it was apparent really quick in this game that Philadelphia is not on the level of Tampa Bay. The score makes it look way better than it was. And I think that Jalen Hurts' number or days as an NFL quarterback might be limited as well. I don't know if they're going to be limited. I thought he was terrible in this game. I, I thought it was like it was – it just didn't go right for the Eagles at all. Um, I saw the one stat. Brady has now 30, 35 postseason wins. Every other quarterback that's in it has combined 26. And you add up <laughs> everyone, including Ben, including Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's that's insane. Like when you read this, you hear that stat, it's unbelievable. He has 85 touchdowns in the regular season. Like that's more than quarter, good quarterbacks had for their careers, and he has 85 touchdowns just in the postseason. Tampa Bay has no Ronald Jones Jr., the running back, no Fournette, and they use Giovanni Bernard. It's like the Tampa Bay is this, we're just going to bring Le'Veon Bell, Giovanni Bernard. Like, they just, I mean, that's how great Brady is. Like, you just give him anybody, and he's able to, to make these plays, and, and they're able to use, uh, uh, you know, go right down, score touchdown, make it 7 nothing. And Ty Johnson, he was not the biggest fan on this team. I think he drops. He's like DeAndre Johnson in terms of drop, dropping balls, uh, dropped one. But they drove down again, another score, 14 nothing. And like the first two drives, Brady was 12 for 16 for 130, 103 yards, and seven different players caught passes. Uh, three possessions for the Eagles. They had one first down. It was like 12 first downs to one first down. And then by the Bucks were finally stopped. It was like uh, they kicked a field goal and made it 17 nothing. And when the Eagles had their chance at the end of the first half, what does Hurts do? You know, to, to sort of score, like at least get a field goal? throws interception and then the second half the bucks go three and out and they punt it and jalen rager who of course the eagles drafted ahead of justin jefferson he fumbles the punt and then the bucks score again they get 24 nothing hurts there's another interception 31 nothing and that's the game i mean that was just brady was 29 for 37 271 yards two touchdowns they got uh, uh, Kenyon Vaughn, Rush, 52 yards, a touchdown. Bernard, 44 yards and a touchdown. And Bronk, I mean, it's Evans had nine catches, 117 yards. I mean, the big concern you have for the, the Buccaneers is they don't have Antonio Brown. They don't have Chris Godwin. And, but they were able to get the other wide receivers involved. And that's, you know, that's Brady wanting to win this game. And also, Brady knows not to keep the Eagles in. Like last year, the Redskins kept that game close. He did not want a close game. And this was the first game. Remember, they didn't play a playoff game last year in Tampa. So this was their first. They played the Super Bowl, but it was technically not a home game. But this was the first playoff game at home that Tom Brady had since he's been in Tampa. Very cool stuff there. And I don't know if you know this, but the uh, over got hit by Philly going for two in garbage time touchdown. And so I'm sure there were some very happy betters and some very upset betters uh, on that decision there. San Francisco and Dallas, Ira, this was the game that I was really confident in San Francisco as well. 
I don't know why, just something about Dallas. I, I don't just don't think they're as good as they seem. And, you know, playing in the NFC East doesn't hurt. But San Francisco... I think they looked a lot better than the score, but still, it ended up being a final, you know, final play possession that uh, went down probably infamously. Yeah, I mean, sixteen seven. I'm I'm watching some of it. I'm listening on the radio. I went into the club to go watch the game, and you saw the penalties. I mean, certainly Dallas not getting out of lead in the game was a was a disaster. I mean, expected Dallas to be, you know, take the lead, control this game, make San Francisco try to Jimmy G to start to throw the ball. But when you have 14 penalties for the game, just inexcusable. And then in the second half, you're down 16-7. And then weird things. Like, first, Cedric Wilson can't catch the ball because it's too sunny. And they're saying, oh, well, it's uh, Jerry's role. The, the stadium has been around for 15 years. Like, if they can't get used to the sun now, this is their own home team. <laughs> and the punter punts the ball and it kicks the scoreboard. Like, don't punt it so – like, again, all these weird things only happens to Dallas. Like, everything with Dallas is like a mess. And I think that comes to the coaching in terms of the penalties. Like, four times they lost the first down on one of the penalties and gave it. And then four times they gave San Francisco a first down on penalties, Making mistakes. And it's not like San Francisco in the second half played great. I mean, Jimmy G, you know, throws, throws interception, leads to another Dallas touchdown. But then everyone's talking about the end of the game. I mean, it was first and 10, uh, 30 seconds left on the Dallas 20. Uh, Prescott throws it to, uh, uh, to Wilson for nine yards, to Pollard for 10 yards, to Schultz for nine yards. And then, uh, then it's second and one on the 41 of the uh, 49ers with 14 seconds left. And then the play was Prescott decides to run. He ran for 17 yards, and then it left him with, like, I mean, there's an issue how much time was left, like 10, 9 seconds. But you have to let the referee come in or the umpire come in and down, step the ball, put the ball. They didn't allow the umpire to come in, so he crashes into Prescott and doesn't down the ball. When he finally pushes the ball down, Prescott tries to spike the ball, but he couldn't spike the ball because the time ran out. And then they're all mad. But they did everything wrong. Like, I've watched this all day. Like, first of all, like, at the end of the game, Prescott should have ran over to the umpire, handed him the ball, say, now put the ball down. That, that gives him the time to spike. Also, when the umpire's running there, they give him room around the, the, uh, the linemen so he can come in and, and touch it. It's like this is what high school teams know. I mean, this is the – you know, you're, you're getting – he's the third highest paid quarterback in the league, and certainly Dak Prescott did not handle that whole end. And then he went and did a, a press conference, and he's blaming the referees, and all the, the fans are, are throwing stuff at the referees when it's not their fault it's his fault for how he handled the end of the game their choice of selection of running the ball not giving themselves but even if they would have down the ball they were still been on the 20 yard line with like a second to go it's not like they would have been guaranteed the win of the game i mean I, I think people make it seem like they would have had won the game but for that play they still would have had to throw a 20 yard pass for a touchdown with and, one play and you know what too ira you know Dak can blame whoever he wants but he's got to look at himself he handed the ball to the center you need to know that the umpire has to touch the ball. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is on him not knowing what the procedure is. And granted, it's typically wide receivers and running backs that are doing this, but you still got to know that. And, he, you know, he didn't have his head in the game there either. I see Cowboys fans today drawing up, like, oh, the, the, you know, the ref was 30 yards from the play at the time. It's like, stop making excuses, guys. You lost the game, and, and that's that. They shouldn't even been in that situation. They're, again, a very talented team. I expected them to be leading, and uh, they let put themselves behind 
where they were. They got lucky because Jimmy G started to throw that stupid interception. Um, and again, I was in the game. I was sort of, you know, they didn't, unfortunately, when I'm in the stadium, I couldn't see, they weren't showing that game. So I had to watch it again. But, you know, I was listening to it on the radio and trying to watch it. But again, it was like they were lucky to be in the game. And, and everyone's making this scene about like, oh, if he would have just been able to spike the ball, they would have scored. What gave, what gives you any comfort? This team is like, <laughs> they did nothing. I mean, they got no production from, uh, from Ezekiel Elliott. They get no production from CD Lamb, Amari Cooper. All their superstars didn't come up. Dak didn't play well. Uh, I mean, he threw, he was 23 for 43. 43. And Elliott had, was 12 carries for 31 yards. Just a, just terrible all over. And they allowed, like, as we expected, Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries for 96 yards. Debo Samuel, 10 carries for 72 yards. San Francisco did what San Francisco, everyone thought was going to go in the game. And Dallas knew, and Dallas supposedly had this great defense that was going to stop him and also score some points. They weren't able to do it. You know, and you look up Dallas's defense, and I, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, Dan Quinn is going to get a head coaching job again because of it. They're middle of the pack in everything. They're like 16th in this, 17th in yards per game. They had a lot of turnovers. They, they forced the ball out, but they also get burned a lot because of that. And, um, you know, they, they were one of the teams that gave up the biggest plays, uh, most big plays this season. So it goes both well, ways. I never Diggs, thought that they Diggs were elite. Diggs leads the league in interceptions. Diggs leads the league in interceptions. But how many times in the game did IU turn him? Yeah. And where it was able, I mean, that one play, they would have won the game. I mean, IU turned Diggs. And it was like in the third, in the fourth quarter, and that's right when I went in this. I'm like, yeah. if Jimmy G hits Ayuk there, that's a touchdown. They go up three scores, the game's over. At that point, the game would have been totally over. But Jimmy G missed that pass right there. But uh, and he's like holding his head, looking around. It's like, <laughs> between Jimmy G holding his head and Mike McCarthy holding his head, it was like back and forth on the coach of the Cowboys. It was hilarious to watch them both be upset about everything. Let's talk about tonight's game, Ira. And I think this is going to be a good one. I love division opponents in the playoffs. I think these two. Two teams are very evenly matched, Arizona and the Rams. Yeah, and October 3rd in Los Angeles, they both won on opposing. So on October 3rd out of L.A., the Cards won 37-20. But then on December 13th, the Cards lost at home 30-23. to I I really think, look, I don't think the Cards have been playing well. They've lost four out of five games. They lost to L.A. They lost at Detroit. They lost Indianapolis, who they thought, you know, we thought, oh, Indianapolis, they're so good. Well, still how that ended up. They beat <laughs> Dallas, and they lost at Seattle. So I really think they've been struggling this end. I, as much as the, car, the Rams have their problems, and they don't have any cornerbacks. So they brought Eric Weddle, who hasn't played in two years. They find out that Eric Weddle's playing quarterback and starting. But this is a game. I'm telling you, if the Rams lose this game, this is a win. We talked about this. Win now. They have Stafford. They have Cuff. They have Odell Beckham. They have three wide running backs. And they got Akers back in. So Michelle and Daryl Henderson. Their defense, Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Jalen Ramsey. They have no draft choices at all. This is a win, this team. Like, there's nothing but winning the Super Bowl that will matter to the Rams. I think there's a lot of pressure on them. If Stafford comes out small, loses this huge loss. But I really think the Rams minus three think Rams win. But uh, I think that if this is a game where Arizona keeps this game close, I think the pressure might start getting to Stafford. And if Stafford makes some of those stupid interceptions that he does, I mean, he is like leads the world in pick sixes. I've never seen a quarterback throw more pick sixes than him. I mean, it is just unbelievable. They're just terrible passes that they run back for touchdowns. Then the Rams are going to be in trouble. No, I agree with you there. Um, let's talk about what we have to look for forward to this weekend. I'm really excited for San Fran at Green Bay because San Francisco is Green is uh, Aaron Rodgers' kryptonite, and I, I think the Packers are really good, but I would not be comfortable right now playing them. 
Well, I was at the 2020, I was at the NFC Championship game in, in the 19, after the season, it would be 2020, uh, where San Francisco, Green, you know, Green Bay was at, San Francisco was at the game, and the game was over, like, in the first quarter. And San Francisco totally dominated, and I almost thought that, like, Aaron Rodgers quit in that game. But uh, it was, you're right, you're right. San Francisco has the, t- you know, they're, they're but Jimmy, as long as Jimmy doesn't throw the ball, throw stupid interceptions, but Green Bay's favorite by five. For some reason, I still think Green Bay is going to win this game. I think they're just playing better. I think they'll win. And then that's the late game on Saturday. And the early game we talked about with Cincinnati, Tennessee, uh, that would be the early. But two, really, I mean, just this whole weekend, those two games are going to be great. And then on Sunday, you have Arizona or L.A. versus Tampa. It's set. The winner of this game will play Tampa at 3 o'clock. So that's going to be a great game. That'll be the game I'll be at. So I'm going to go to Tampa next Sunday. Um, let's shift gears here. Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo. Uh, we got a few minutes left here. Let's talk a little bit about what happened in golf yesterday, Ira, because I don't think many people were watching this, but man, it ended up being a wild, wild finish. <laughs> well, you're going to have to. I saw what happened. I saw that Matiano was five back to Russell Henley after nine holes, and then I saw that Matiano won. I have no idea how he won, but that's what what a comeback in terms of a, making up a, a rare in the golf at the ninth hole. You're down five on a course that's plays pretty easy. You know, if we're not talking the British Open and where water goes in water, what I don't, that's amazing that he came back and was able to to beat Henley in the first playoff hole. No, it, it was phenomenal. Yeah, five strokes. I and mean, Russell Henley, we, we root for him here. I mean, you know, he's, he's a Honda Classic winner. I think he's a good guy. To blow that, I mean, the blow five strokes, like you said, on a course where you're, you're, you're shooting low. You know what I mean? This isn't like, there's not really chances for double bogeys where you're going to blow your scorecard up. Hideki Matsuyama hits a, um, a three-wood from the fairway to, to, to win this one in the play- playoff. That was just absolutely beautiful. It was Marvelous golf from Matsuyama and a massive collapse from uh, from Henley, and there's really nothing else you could say about it. Want to talk a little? Uh, then, yeah, go ahead. No, but definitely about the you were about the Australian. Yeah, Open. I was going to um, say. I know you. <laughs> this is another controversy that popped up. Well, it, it, it's it's the joke of it, and it's someone who sits there. I mean, you're probably talking about it. One of the experts, because I'm the one who gets up at three in the morning and watches the Australian Open, and I'm and I watch Djokovic Nadal play for six hours, and and I I've some of the best matches I've ever seen have been trying to stay awake. I'm in L.A. The matches start at twelve, and then like the entire night from twelve to five. So I watch Federer and Nadal, and it's just to me, it is one of the most. I mean, it, it's just some of the greatest matches I've ever seen. However, this Djokovic thing is crazy because the fact is that they approved him to go in. He did everything right. He's not vaccinated, but the rules were he didn't have to be. But then the government, the president and the foreign minister decided you don't want to play, and they made this whole thing. I mean, they should have just let him play. I, I just Again, he followed the rules. The rules were what they were supposed to be. Now France is saying, look, you can't play at all. That's our rules now. At least they know going in. But don't have him fly to Australia, go through all these court things, deport him, and all these other things when he approved, when Australia approved, and also the, the, uh, the province that he was supposed to be approved, and the country approved it they just backed away from what they had proved so whether you're for against you know the vaccination issue the fact is there were rules he followed the rules he did what he's supposed to do and they didn't let him play and then they sent him back and he's the number one player in the world i just don't think it looks good for australia in terms of they seem to be backtracking and, and they're the ones who made this whole thing a circus and, and there's no guarantee that australia should be a major i mean for years jimmy connors has only played there three times 
in his 20-year career. And McElroy, people didn't even play in Australia. And it, it starts in January. People want the uh, Grand Slam to start maybe in March or April, like at Indian Wells or Miami. So there's a thought of thought, like, why should the Grand Slam be in January? You don't have a golf game Grand Slam in January. So uh, I don't know. I just The whole thing about the thing was crazy. And a lot of people are talking about it. who will never watch one stroke from the Australian Open, but I'll, I'll be up watching the doll play at <laughs> two, four in the morning and all those things. But I just feel bad, you know, in terms of, I just feel like they had procedures. Djokovic followed what he was supposed to do. And then they decided they don't want him to play. Ira, what's your plans this week? I really just got to get back to West Palm Beach somehow. <laughs> and then I cannot wait for it. This, this weekend is great. I mean, really the four football games must watch. And I'll be in Tampa for the three o'clock game on Sunday. Stay there for then the Buffalo Kansas City game. I'm just, just, I'm so excited for this whole weekend. I just love this time of year. I love the NFL. I wish the Steelers were in it, but can't wait. And then tonight's game coming up right now. I mean, I'm just so pumped to go watch uh, Arizona versus the Rams. I think this is so cool to have a Monday night playoff game. I, I agree with you. I'm all in on this. And on that note, we're out of time. I want to thank Rodney Orr of Tider Insider for coming by. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.